Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and finance channel. It has just gone midday, which means it is time for your favorite show and my favorite show, The Call. Ten different stocks picked by you, our viewers, and we have two experts to go through them in fine detail. And we've got one hour to do it in. It's Wednesday, the 16th of December, and I'm Andrew Page. And joining me in studio today, I've got Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Michael, good to see you. Good to see you in the hot seat. Not used to this kind of format. I know, you're now the host, you must know all the answers. I, well, the, the, I can just palm it all off to you and I, I don't have to uh, be such a quick and agile dancer. Um, I'm also joined by Andrew Violent from DP Wealth Advisory uh, from Toowoomba. Andrew, how are you going? Hey too, going well. How are you traveling? Very, day, Michael. Very hey, good, Andrew. yes, yes. And uh, I hope the market is treating you well in these final days of 2020, which has certainly been an interesting year. Um, speaking of interesting, our stock of the day, uh, gents, we're going to kick off with Beacon Lighting. These guys had a bit of an announcement today in the market. Let's admit it has reacted very favorably. Uh, they have said that their sales have improved across the business, tipping a significantly better first half with net profit expected to come in between 19 and a half and 21 and a half million dollars. So not a bad result. The share price, as I look now, almost 10% higher. Michael, in fact, these guys have had a phenomenal year in what you might ordinarily expect it to be a tough year for them. What do you think of Beacon? This has been one of these retailers aligned to the housing market that's done incredible this year. We saw Nick Scarly uh, and another company along the similar lines also benefit from these current environment that we find ourselves in. The fact that people are sitting at home, um, you obviously have some government incentives there as well. Then people want to make their homes look nice if they're going to be spending more time in it. So they've been going out, doing some, some repairs here and there, upgrading here and there, and Beacon Lighting has been a beneficiary of that. Um, obviously, they've had a lot of their physical store network closed for periods of this year, but the click and collect, particularly in Victoria, has been killing it. And because they've moved so much online, they've actually seen their margins pick up as well. And, and this is a business, if you look at the balance sheet going back a number of years, it actually looks quite good. Years, year after year of revenue growth, year after year of earnings growth, margins look okay. Um, no debt, good decent return on equity. So there's, there, are, there are definitely good traits about this company and a lot to like about it, but that doesn't mean I'll be buying it at the moment. Um, the fact is, is a valuation. valuation, and I'm just not sure, like with many of these other stocks, whether or not these great conditions that have maybe pulled forward demand can be replicated going forward. So yeah. I'd like to see a return to some normalized conditions um, before sort of making my final decision on Beacon or any other business that's had a similar pull forward benefit from COVID. Just having a look at that chart that was on screen before there, it kind of tracks sideways yeah. for about five years or so. I've just pulled up some, some uh, price, uh, some data here. The earnings has sort of, you know, moved up a little bit, but in the last three years hasn't been fantastic. Is, 
Is that a concern as well? Have they just had a good year, but you know, longer term structurally, just they, I don't know. Certainly a lot of these tailwinds would be at their back. Australians yeah. have had a long love affair with property. You know, we know what that's yeah. been doing. How have they not been making hay while the sun's shining? I think, look, they've had a decent run. The balance sheet's not terrible. It's yeah. just, Mark has never fallen in love with it. And it's not the most exciting business, let's face that's, it. It sells true. lights. They might be in a bit of a competitive advantage or competitive position at the moment, but who's to say that's going to continue in the future? Uh, we might see other players emerge and, and take take the lead in that respect because mm. it is a, a competitive environment and the margins, though they have been consistent, they haven't been necessarily huge margins Great. either. Hey, Andrew, what, what do you think about this? I mean, this is a, a stock that, uh, according to what I'm looking at here, P of about 26, a yield of about 3.5%. It's sort of, I know that there's you know, PEs are a bit higher than average at this point in time, but that's still implying a bit of growth longer term, isn't it? Yeah, and I think uh, Michael's been looking at my notes, so I'll have to sort of <laughs> cover them up a little bit here because I've, what I've written here is one and done. So in other words, that you know, it's a COVID beneficiary uh, with all that stimulus money coming through, but how often, you know, once you replace your light fittings in your ceiling fans, are you going to go and do that every year? It's, you know, not, not very likely. So... I, uh, I have to say, I think um, it, it's run probably too hard. I note consensus, though, even before this upgrade was $1.80 uh, relative to the share price pre the, the announcement today, which is around in the 140s. The other thing which is probably interesting to note, the CEO owns about 55% of the stock. So in one way, that's great. You know, one of my measures is, does management and the board have skin in the game? Well, plenty of skin in the game at 55%. Yeah. But it then also takes away that ability for corporate activity as well, because if you haven't got the CEO on board, uh, it's not going to be happening at all. So it's probably, you know, to Michael's point, it's probably why it hasn't really been featuring on too many people's radar is because the investment bankers aren't going to get much of a, a look in from a job point of view. So, yeah, look, I, I, to me, it's probably a hold. Okay, so as far as Andrew and Michael are concerned, Beacon not shooting out the lights. Pun totally intended there. Let's uh, talk about Zero. This is a stock that has shot out the lights, right, Michael? And this stock, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to tell you that I bought Zero many years ago at about twelve dollars each. Um, but I will also admit that I, I think I sold it about sixteen, thinking, <laughs> "How clever am I? What a, what a nice little uh, return!" Of course, today it's knocking on the door of one hundred and fifty dollars a yep. share. So Kira's written in, and they want to know: is it is it okay to hold or to buy at this point? Look, it's a business that we hold for most of our clients. Um, it's one that we definitely didn't get into at twelve dollars, but probably closer to sort of forty, fifty dollars. And this is a company that did take a while to really take shape. I mean, it got up to $40, $50 maybe five, six years ago, fell all the way back down to yes. below $10, then mm-hmm. gradually picked up again as the story started to take shape. But look, it's a, an, a very good quality company. Whether I could buy it today is another question uh, altogether. I, I do think it can continue to run. The fact is that they have dominated the local market here in Australia and New Zealand. Um, those markets are far more mature than the overseas markets of the UK and the US. Uh, overseas in, say, the, the UK and the US, they're growing at about 30 35%. In Australia, it's around sort of 20 25%. But the thing is, in Australia and New Zealand, our adoption of the cloud is about 50% across the market, whereas overseas is around 20%. So not only are the markets overseas bigger, but there's a lot of tailwinds there for further take-up of cloud, which should benefit them immensely. Uh, to give you some perspective, it took them 10 years to get their first million subscribers on board, and then it took them only sort of two years after that to get their next million. So there's definitely some scale benefits that are at play here. 
Um, the fact is it's hard to sort of value something like zero because they trade on such lofty multiples, but they're sacrificing future growth, or sorry, fu- today's profit for future growth. Yeah. Um, so the which fact, is probably which is, not a terrible strategy given these tend to be winner-take-all markets. Th- that's right. And, and it's hard to sort of look at the balance sheet and then derive any of that value because someone might pay a $50 a month uh, zero subscription fee, but it doesn't factor in on the balance sheet that that customer might be a customer for the next 10 years, not only paying $50 a month, but potentially more over time. So all that shows up in, from one month to the next is that $50, yeah. but it doesn't factor in or take into account the lifetime value of that customer necessarily. So, And the retention rates are going to be huge. The retention rates are right? huge. They don't sign up individual customers like me or you. They go to the big accounting firms, get the yeah. accountants on board, who then roll all their customers or all their clients across. And, yeah. and it's a very good way for them to, to grow the business. The US might be a bit of a struggle to ever gain a significant foothold, but if they can take a little bit of market share in an enormous market, they'll be okay. Who's the player that's Intuit? It's Intuit. It's a slightly different platform to Xero. It's probably not as comprehensive, but they've definitely got the jump on them. Uh, In the UK, Xero is pretty much up there. And in the UK as well, it's now being made mandatory that businesses lodge a lot of their stuff online, and that's pushing a drive towards cloud platforms such as Xero. So a hold, a hold from you. Look, I'm a, I'm a buy, but I'm like it's a hold at these current prices. Any any significant pullback, uh, I'll be looking to buy. Um, the fact is, it went from 100 to 150 just like that, right? So I'm not really just sure what's been driving it. Yeah. The, up, the recent update was okay. It was nothing sort of uh, unbelievable. So it's been running on momentum. Whether or not that can be sustained is what puts me off at the yeah. moment as a buy. But if it fell back 120 or so, then I'll be keen to have a look. We had a good chat. Um, me and Godham, the producer, yeah. before the show about the distinction between hold and buy. Yeah. And if it wasn't for our time constraint, I'd love to pick <laughs> your brains on it, but, but yeah. we don't have the time. Andrew, um, Michael's made mention there of a lofty multiple. Let me put a handle on that for you, according to what I'm looking at anyway. That's a, that's a P of a 505. Is that, uh, is that lofty or is that lofty? Oh, as, as Michael said, how do you value how do you value a business like this? Yeah. You know, um, and trying to apply it's a great question, I might add, um, A two, but it's very hard to actually sort of really sort of answer it because you know we're sort of comparing oranges with with onions. It's yeah. not really sort of the same conversation. Um, I own this one um, in my super fund, and a few of my clients own it. Thirty three bucks and still holding. Not bad. Giddy up. Five X. Five X. Um, I think one of the reasons it's running along though is because it's just recently been admitted to the ASX 50. So certainly all the the passive guys and girls uh, will be in there sort of giving that a bit of a nudge along as well. Um, I like the fact that David Thode is the chair. So if you remember, of course, he's the former CEO of Telstra when Telstra was actually going along okay. So Thode is a pretty switched on operator. Interesting that Michael um, sort of indicated around 120 being his buy price, and I know he just sort of picked that using his uh, intrinsic sort of uh, valuation model that he's got there in front of him. (laughs) Interesting to note that the consensus valuation is around 115 on uh, on zero. Uh, I'm happy to, I'm still happy to buy it now. I just think, like we're we're clients of zeros, and there's no way in the world that we would change. And even if we wanted to change, they've got us by the golden handcuffs. You know, it's a very sticky business. So um, high acquisition costs to get you in the door, partnering with those accounting firms and so forth. And, you know, just a, a little bit of extra colour around sort of that off, overseas expansion. We generally, sorry, Australia and New Zealand tend to sort of lead where the UK in particular in this particular space is going by that 18 months. 
So I would anticipate that UK business in particular is going to really sort of take off uh, for all the reasons that Michael just outlined before. I think the US is going to be a much tougher nut to crack. And if you remember a while ago, they had one of the heads of the PayPal business in the US and he left uh, pretty quickly soon afterwards. But uh, I think the US is going to be a tougher nut to crack, but there's still plenty of growth in this business and I'm still happy to buy it, albeit, as I said, I own them already. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really good lesson to in not overthinking valuation for very high quality stocks with, with big runways. That's a lesson I learned the hard way. You guys are a bit smarter about it as, as well. Um, so yeah, Kira, I hope that's really helped you there. Some really good insight from both of the guys. Uh, Andrew, I'm gonna um, stay with you now. Another company that's um, very popular and I think has a, overall a pretty impressive history is Cochlear. And, uh, but it does, it does tend to divide people a little bit. What are your views, Andrew? Yeah, look, I'm probably more in the no camp than the yes camp. I mean, it's a great, you know, if channeling my inner Koshi, and I'm nearly there with the hair. Um, <laughs> it's a great Australian business with amazing technology. Um, but we also just saw that they uh, lost that appeal in the US for that $280 million mm. patent infringement. Mm. Uh, so that's it. And I mean, that's already baked into the price, but certainly that's not been helpful to them. The fact that uh, there's the Chinese uh, in particular, with due respect to the Chinese, have certainly tried to uh, uh, copy their um, sort of designs and so forth. That's been a bit of a challenge for them as well. If you look at their returns over the last 12 months, they're down about 12% relative to the market, uh, down 13% uh, relative to the market up one. But over five years, it's up about 18% relative to the market, which is up about 10% per annum. I mean, I look at the ROE and I look at the margin, the return on equity is 15%, which is all right. And the margin's 11%, you know, nothing to sneeze at there. But mm. why wouldn't I buy CSL? It's not the same business, but it's in that same space and I get a 36% return on equity and a 23% margin. Why wouldn't I just buy CSL? Mm. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a hold. I note that it's trading near consensus. Consensus is about 204 bucks. So it, it's, it's an okay business, but it's certainly not a buy at these levels. It's something that's been, um, I guess people who have done really well on it have been those that have been opportunistic where the company, uh, the one that really springs to mind is when they had that product recall yeah. a little while ago. You remember, Michael? And it just, you know, there was, it's, it's one of these things ostensibly and, and in every sense, bad news, but not something that is a long, necessarily a long-term impact to its future cash flow generation capability. Uh, does that weigh into your reasoning with a company like like cochlear is it something that you just have on a watch list and, and you absolutely look for those things or? absolutely so it's best of breed in that space um essentially once they get a patient they get a patient for life not only do they get up you're not gonna you're not gonna switch out years, a, an, that's yeah. right and then they get accessories as they upgrade yep. with bluetooth and all the things that go with it as well um, but that doesn't guarantee that the share price is going to do well but what it does mean is if you're buying a quality business after it's been beaten up like it was, I think, 10 years ago almost now with that big product recall. But there's been other things along the way. At one point, they were losing a lot of market share through Chinese imitation products coming in, taking a lot of the market at a lot cheaper cost. But then what happened was those Chinese imitation products started to have issues and started to malfunction a little bit. So then it sort of had this natural inertia back towards the incumbent, which was the quality player Cochlear. So they recovered from that period as well. I think what we have to look at with Cochlear is their most valuable, valuable market is the developed economy um, children implant market. Mm. And that's actually quite mature these days. Where a lot of the growth is coming from is in Asia and emerging markets where they're a lot more price sensitive. 
So in the past, in Western countries, cochlear was the incumbent. There's also the most expensive player. It was the most best quality player. But in Asia, they're not getting that same um, affiliation or, or that same um, affection for the brand. So they have to be a little bit more price sensitive, which means long term, I think, although they'll continue to grow, there'll be more implants, their margins will continue to narrow a little bit and that could create some issues for them. So I'm not a buyer of it either. Um, we used to own it maybe sort of even two, even three years ago now, but if there was a sizable pullback or something going wrong with something I would look at, it's certainly looking a lot more attractive at these prices than $240 where it got to not that long ago. Yeah. But for mine, I just think there are better alternatives in the healthcare space. You can look at CSL, Fisher & Paykel, ResMed, mm. uh, those sorts of players, because although Cochlear trades on these very, very lofty multiple, I think there's a lot of competition out there for it, and the business, although it's high quality, is not of the same competitive position as some of those other names. That's true, but I mean, relative to 2,000 yeah. other stocks on the market, it's got oh, to be absolutely. in the top 10%, uh, just, just to be fair, right? Yeah, like, definitely. We, we are, we're being fussy, but for, for good reason, and yeah. we were saying yesterday on the show, it is our job to be fussy, is yeah. it not, when it comes to investing? Um, okay, so that is a double no for Cochlear. Uh, the next one, um, Michael, I'm going to stay with you. Medical developments. Yep. Jared's written in. Uh, for those playing along at home, that the code there is MVP. Uh, is it an MVP kind of stock? <laughs> so for those who aren't familiar with this, it's the green whistle that you often see being whipped oh, that's out right. at rugby games or, or AFL matches, whatever it may be, when someone's had a traumatic injury of some sort. So it gives instant pain relief. Yep. Uh, and this is the company that is looking to sort of bring that to the world in many ways. They've got a, a decent presence in Australia, New Zealand. They've recently raised capital to expand into Europe. Um, they've had a couple of issues of late. They had to take back the distribution rights from a company that was distributing here in Australia. Um, that suggests to me that there were some issues at play. Um, the fact is as well, it, they said going forward that what they're going to look to do is they're going to, look to do an in-house distribution to those, to those businesses or those areas such as defence um, and, and such as the, the ambulances and then those sorts of things. And then for the sort of smaller minor GPs and, and sporting teams, etc., they'll um, provide a licence to someone to go and distribute on their behalf. It's a company that seems to make sense and that they provide a very good product that seems to work. But until I've done a lot more research about the competitors and what else is available out mm. there, I'm not comfortable enough to buy it. Uh, they're a business that is burning through a fair amount of cash, hence the need to continually raise capital. And although they have some revenue and a little bit of profit there, it's been nothing uh, that sustainable. But look, it's one to keep an eye on. But as I said, I'd need to know a lot more about the competitors out there before I was comfortable to buy it. Fair enough. Andrew, um, well, actually, I can say someone I know very well had an experience, uh, not a pleasant yeah. one, but what was pleasant about it is they did get to have a suck on the green whistle. Oh, really? and, yeah. and there was two thumbs up on that, on that <laughs> front from a user's standpoint. Andrew, what do you think about MVP? Um, yeah, look, I, I guess I sort of look at the, the, the pedigree of the people involved and the, and the ownership or the directorship, I should say. So you've got the outgoing chair. He owns 14% of the company. He's also the chair of Polynovo. And in fact, three of the four directors of MVP are also directors of Polynovo. Oh. We all know how well Polynovo have gone. So as you know, uh, gents, when you're sort of looking at companies, you sort of say, well, who's done stuff before and what's their track record been like? 
for some of us, we sort of looked at Anaconda Nickel and said no thank you to um, Andrew Twiggy Forest with Fortescue at a dollar at our peril. But usually the uh, the management or ownership uh, metric or test is not a bad one. So I like the fact that they've got the Polynovo guys and girls involved. I like the fact that the incoming chair is the former CFO of CSL. I was ah. talking up CSL. Yeah. So again, you know, that's certainly a positive in particular with that uh, growing offshore business. You have to think that that's not exactly a bad thing for them. I guess on the negative side, though, I look at the fact that they recently just did a capital raising to Michael's point, you know, 25 million bucks at $6.50. So you'd have to think that's going to weigh on the share price. Uh, I also note that short interest is rising. So in other words, you know, the number of people who are short the stock who think the shares are going to go down. And uh, to uh, Andrew's uh, measure before evaluation, one of them being the PE, the PE is 219 times. So wow. I just think I'm happy to pay 505 times for a, for, for a moat sticky business like Zero, but am I going to pay 219 times for MVP, which for all the reasons that uh, Michael just went through, you know, perhaps it doesn't justify it. So I'm not a seller, but I'm a, I'm a hold. Fair enough too. And well, it's, it's really been a bumpy ride for shareholders. It looks like it's gone from about four bucks to near enough to 650 or so four times in the past five years. So maybe more of a trading stock than a holding stock. Let's move on. Andrew, I'll stick with you. Janus Education, oh, sorry, Janus Henderson Group, uh, JHG is the code there. Uh, Livio has written in, what should they do with Janus? So from memory, and remind me, gents, this is a spin-off from AMP. Yeah, like years ago. <laughs> years ago. Oh, okay. Years ago. Is it? Yep. Belying my age. Um, no comment required. But um, <laughs> it's actually done pretty well. It's up 21% for the year relative again to the market that's up one. And the PE of 12 times is pretty undemanding. Um, their funds under management is up, but they're a funds management business, but the reason the fund is up is because the market's up. Whereas if mm. you just look at the underlying business, there's actually outflows that's going on. We're just pretty cool on active managers in general. And for those who sort of suffer through my appearances on the call, you know, my pet calling is ETFs or uh, exchange traded funds. And ETFs are just eating uh, these active managers for lunch. So certainly, I mean, there are some good active managers and I'm not suggesting that Janice Henderson are bad, but from a general investment thematic, there certainly seems to be more of a tilt or a shift towards uh, passive investing generally. And so you've got to be doing something pretty special, you know, whether you're a Magellan with Hamish Douglas or whatever the case may be to sort of stem those outflows. And it would appear as though they're not able to do that. So from my point of view, much prefer Magellan, uh, certainly not a seller of this one, albeit it's done pretty well considering the lows that it was plumbing there a little while ago, but this is again a hold. Okay, so there you go, Livio. It's a no from Andrew. Michael, what do you think? It's actually a buy from us. And we had clients in there um, probably a couple of months yep. ago now. It's a bit of a turnaround value play just oh, yes. because it was trading on such low multiples, 5 6% dividend yield. Um, it's got about $500 billion funds under management. So it's a very large player globally. Sorry, did you say billion? Yeah. So when you think about it, Magellan's got about 100. Right. So although they're listed in Australia, they've actually got their major listing in the US. Um, so a few years ago, Henderson Group merged with Janus. And Janus was the, was the company that was basically run by um, the founder of PIMCO, um, Bill Gross. Bill oh, Gross. So right. Those two companies merged, came together, and although they do manage equities, they manage a lot of fixed income and a lot of alternate investments as well. So they're quite 
sizable globally. Uh, they've been extracting a lot of synergies ever since that merger went through a couple of years ago as well. And what really hurt Janus going back now four or five years was the Brexit situation because they were based primarily in the UK at that point. There was a lot of fund outflows that were really hitting the business. But now that with the merger of Janus, they've got a, a transatlantic access point, if you like, to both Europe and the US. And we just think that there's a bit of, of turnaround value in it. Um, they've managed to stem the tide a lot in some of those negative metrics. Uh, what also happened was a company who has a history of orchestrating mergers between funds management companies has taken 10% in Janice Henderson and 10% in Invesco as well. Uh, and they recently put together a merger between um, Franklin Templeton and Leg Mason in the US. So they now own about 10% of Janice, 10% of Invesco. So there's a chance that that merger might go through as well. So is that a stock consolidation or something? That, that was when they the went chart? through the merger oh, with Janus. Okay. Something ever something obviously happened there and then that's been the way it's been performing ever since. But we just think it's a bit of a value play. There's a bit going on from a corporate finance perspective with that merger activity or talk of merger activity and you get a decent dividend yield at a time when the banks have cut theirs significantly, they managed to maintain theirs even through the COVID period. And so you got in on that a few months ago? About, yeah, a couple of months ago now. Wow, so you've, you've, you've done well already, but still yeah, more upside? Potentially, I mean, it all needs a bit of a, a re-rating, yep. trading on, you know, rather than trading on 10 or nine times earnings, I think when we bought it, it's now at about 11 or 12. If that can get up to 13, 14, you're doing quite well, I think, including that yield. Okay, well, there you go. That is our first buy of the show. Um, let's go now to, it was only a matter of time before one of the buy now pay laters uh, came up. Uh, William has written in, Andrew, I'll, I'll go back to you if I can. This one's Zipco. In fact, I can tell you that this one ranks very highly in terms of most popular stocks on the Ausbiz platform. What do you think, two part question, Andrew, what do you think of buy now pay later in general? I know that's a big question. And then specifically with Zipco. Uh, look, buy now pay later is definitely here to stay. Certainly, uh, I mean, I use it and my wife is a frugal accountant. She's a mad buy now pay later uh, yep. user. So uh, certainly from a thematic point of view, there's no doubt that it's here to stay. So I think you can pretty much be rest assured that that's okay, I guess. If we're talking broadly macro for a second, I'd be more worried about uh, ASIC and the RBA's view. And I know the RBA came out the other day and said at this stage there's no impending regulation. But you know, when we've seen that previous price weakness in um, Afterpay as an example, it's because you know uh, ASIC's been sort of uh, loitering in the background, so to speak. So uh, I, I would be more concerned about the regulation piece rather than the actual the thematic. I think the thematic itself is in play. In the context of ZIP. You know, we sort of talk about how well we've done with things. I think I was picking these up at 90 cents and a dollar and, you know, again, thinking how clever I was selling it at two. <laughs> Where are we today? Five. So, I know that feeling uh, well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, having said that, though, didn't they get to nine? They yep, got, they got very close. Nine. Yeah. Yep. So not feeling so bad about that. Um, I guess, again, I look at the fact, you know, they got 1.3 million customers, 16,000 merchants. They just uh, signed that deal with Harvey Norman, which would exactly be bad for them. But yeah. Andrew, there's a key issue here. There's no revenue. Mm. There's no revenue until 2023. Uh, and I also note the MD and the CEO have, um, sorry, the chair and the CEO have actually both been reducing their holding over the last 12 months. So, you know, increasing regulation, uh, insiders selling, 
Uh, I'm certainly uh, cool, but you know, you talked earlier, I can't remember which company it was, where you talked about, I think it was Cochlear, where there's sort of an oh bother moment where people are just capitulating. Certainly this space is here to stay and if you saw some weakness across the broader market and these ones generally tend to get caught up in it, the afterpays, the zips, etc., that might be a more attractive entry point, but certainly not at the moment. Just to clarify, Andrew, when you, did you say no revenue? Is there, surely they've got some... Well, sorry, 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 not no revenue, no profit. Oh, okay, no okay, profit. cool, okay, right. No profit. No, they are really doing something wrong in that in that case. Um, although no you, you know, I, it, it, it's it's twenty twenty, so there 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 could be more surprising things out there. Michael, what do you think? Look, it's done a very good job at building the business and emerging and, and taking advantage of the mania that's out there for buy now, pay later. Um, I do think though that there is going to be and, and there's already building competition in this space. And Zip, I think, will find themselves on the, the outer of all of that because they are a smaller player. Uh, although they've gone and they've got themselves access to the US through an acquisition of QuadPay or a merger or whatever we want to put it with QuadPay in the US, they are growing their customer base in the US very well. Transaction volumes are growing very, very well. But despite all of that, they're still adding far less customers per month than, say, an Afterpay. Um, even as recently as a couple of weeks ago, a European buy now, pay later type business has come to Australia doing a big partnership with Westfield. If you go through Centrepoint, it's all through there at the moment. And I just think you're gonna see more and more of that. Um, the account receivables turnover for Zip Pay uh, is lower than Afterpay, which means it takes longer for them to recover their outstanding um, debits, if you like. Yeah. So I just think that the quality is not as high as say an Afterpay. They're not a first mover in that respect, mm. and they've got a lot of catch up to do with some of these bigger names, and I just fear that they're gonna to struggle to ever close that gap. So from my perspective, it's probably a sell at these prices. Mm -hmm. um, I have to, again, admit that they've done very, very well, good quality business, run the business as best as they possibly can. I just think that it's, at the moment, the price is embedding ultimate success, and I just think investors might get let down when they don't achieve those lofty targets that people might have in mind for them. Yeah, that, that's true of a lot of stocks. Yeah. It feels like at the moment too, there's some great expectation and great potential. But you know, if, if that isn't realized, there's only one variable yeah. left to really give there. Um, let's do, we're at the halfway mark. Let's do a quick review of the first five stocks. Uh, we started off with zero. Kira uh, wrote in asking about that. A lot of positive things to say from, uh, from this and, and both gentlemen doing very well with it, but we couldn't get a buy uh, on either of it largely on valuation grounds there. Uh, the next one was Cochlear. Again, these, there are far worse stocks out there, but it's, you know, the, the gents made the point that uh, it, is, it is a PE of 219 or so. Uh, there's, it's, it's just hard to, to really make the case for value. Uh, and because we got two no's on that, we're actually gonna boot that out of the calls portfolio, which previously Cochlear was in. And I'll update you on that in just a moment. Another stock that was in the portfolio until today was Medical Development, MVP. Jared had asked about that. That got two thumbs down as well. It's a lot of potential here with this business, a lot of good inside uh, ownership, but there's some question marks around the competition. Uh, and uh, and so it was just, just couldn't get it over the line. Uh, uh, Janice Henderson Group, uh, Andrew making the point here that really these uh, these types of businesses sort of sailing into the wind in regard to the ETF 
competition uh, and also you've got to have a very high degree of confidence on the people actually actively stock picking within those those vehicles so for him it was a pass michael did however like it in fact this is the only buy we've had so far on the show today uh, making some really good points in fact around the, the the size that they are the discount that they're trading to their uh, perhaps intrinsic value uh, intrinsic valuation they've done pretty well in recent months but more upside according to michael there um, and finally Zipco um, I think everyone agrees here that this is something that is here to stay in terms of the buy now pay later space but horrendously competitive a lot of expectation baked in and uh, as really there might be some better options out there at least according to these two gentlemen so that is, uh, uh, is, is two crosses two thumbs down uh, so as I mentioned, we've got a portfolio here on the call. We've been tracking this since July 1. Um, familiar, those who are familiar with the show will know exactly how it works. If our two experts give a thumbs up, that is they both give a buy, we will add that stock to our portfolio at the closing price today. If we get anything other than that, then it doesn't go in. And if it is already in the portfolio and we don't get a consensus buy from both uh, participants, it gets kicked out of the portfolio. So let's have a quick look at exactly how that's performing. Hasn't been a great week for the portfolio, uh, but other than that, there is uh, some very attractive returns. They're the most important one, of course, being since inception, uh, 20 let's call that 23%, shall we? Let's, let's round up on that. Not a bad effort uh, at all. Um, of course, there's a lot of devil in the detail. Um, how have things been moving around? Well, these are some of the stocks that we have added recently. Viva Energy has been added. CSL, uh, we sort of mentioned that briefly today as well. Some positive comments and, and that has been added to the portfolio. Nuix, Envirosuite and Hum Group all being added recently. If you yourself want to dive in deeper, it's really easy to do. Osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Just search that up. You'll find it really easily. Uh, as we've mentioned before, if you're after just some stock ideas, I think you could do far worse worse than sort of perusing the list that, uh, that our expert uh, guests have given a double thumbs up on and uh, it is well worth a very close look. Let's get into the second half of the show. Now, Andrew, I'm, I'm going to come back to you because you, you mentioned you spoke favorably earlier of ETFs, exchange traded funds. Well, Sean has written in and uh, he is interested in the Vanguard FTSE Europe shares fund and the code there is VEQ. Is this one that you're familiar with, Andrew? I am a little bit. Good on you, Sean. Let's keep these ETFs coming on through. These pesky direct equities, they need to get out. We need more ETFs. No, they're, uh, they, they, they can all happily coexist together. Uh, look, it's been around since 2015 and it tracks, uh, as the name suggests, uh, European companies, about 1,300 in the basket. It's got a pretty low management expense ratio and MER of about 35 basis points. I mean, it's certainly not as low as some of the Australian focused ones, uh, what's A200, I think it's like nine basis points. So it's right. not, you know, uber cheap, but it's certainly 35 basis points relative to a managed fund where you might be looking at 100, 150 basis points. So it's pretty cheap from that point of view. It hasn't really done a lot. It's up 3% uh, per annum for the last three years. Um, so, you know, I guess really the question you've got to ask yourself, Sean, is do you think that Europe's going to turn itself around? That's really the question you've got to ask yourself mm -hmm. here. Um, because, you know, like, is it the vaccine? Uh, is it Brexit? Because around 24% of this ETF is uh, UK focused. 
what's actually going to turn it around? I have to say, not a huge Europe fan, I like going on holiday there, but from an economic point of view, haven't really seem to have got their act together. We much prefer the emerging market space at the moment. And uh, certainly for 2021, we've been getting our clients set in a stable mate of Vanguard's VGE for those playing at home. Uh, if you're looking for that international exposure, I think that's probably the better place to be. Nothing wrong with this, but you know, it's pretty hard to get excited as well. Yeah, 3% per annum over the last few years isn't that exciting, particularly with what we've seen in other markets. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, look, it's a hard one. If you want specifically exposure to your portfolio in Europe, it's a very easy and cheap way to get it. Um, But Europe and European markets in general haven't performed very well as a collective over five years, given what's going on with the economy over there. You can blame COVID as much as you like. You can blame Brexit. But the fact is Europe is going through structural issues at the moment. Uh, It's hard to get all constituent countries performing well at the same time. They've got a lot of debt. They've got uh, population issues and ageing population issues. So it's a tough part of the world at the moment to make money and grow a business. And a lot of the businesses that make up the top 10 of this ETF, things like Nestle, Royal Dutch Shell, Moet Hennessy, tend to be older world style companies. And you're not really getting exposure to say the booming tech that you do in say the US or some of those great companies. So from my point of view, I think there are probably better ETFs out there. Um, And maybe look at emerging markets like Andrew pointed out, look at the US, um, look at maybe emerging Europe as well. So some of those maybe former Soviet states that form the peripheral of Europe, maybe they could be offering some good growth. Obviously the risk is a lot higher, but they're probably a bigger growth engine than some of the other more mature countries. Mm. So that's the way I would look at it. But at the moment, if you wanted to get an easy, pure exposure to Europe, this is the way to do it. But it's not a buy for me. Is there something to be said for, you know, we know that the the star ETF of the last five years might not continue to be. So is there almost a a, a contrarian play in there and also an argument that some might say, listen, I just don't want to overthink it. I'm going to be investing for the long term. I want a bit of Asia, a bit of US, a bit of Europe. Could could you make that argument? That's what I think it would make a lot of sense. That person that just wants some exposure to different parts of the world. And that way they had a very diversified, geographically diversified portfolio. This would be an easy way to do it. But to your point, maybe this market uh, has a lot of exposure to value plays. And we, as we know, value versus growth over the last 10 years has really struggled. Yeah. If we do see that reverse over the next couple of years, like you would in Australia, you might start to see that index actually perform quite well relative to some of the other names that might be more growth orientated. So that is definitely something to consider. But as I always say with these ETFs, Take a moment to actually go away, look at the underlying holdings. Don't just buy an ETF necessarily just because it makes sense from a geographical diversification point of view. Actually look and see what the major holdings are. In this particular one, the top 10 holdings make up 15% of the ETF. So there's a lot of holdings that they've got in that particular ETF. So try and understand that and see if you want to be exposed to those sorts of companies. And as Andrew mentioned too, I guess cost is is a function as well. So you want to make sure you're not paying too much. So... We could talk ETS all day, we, except, except for the time factor, so we will move on. Andrew, I'm going to come back to you here. Uh, Eleanor has written in, uh, after a view on Western areas, the ASX ticker is WSA. Um, I'm going to assume a, a, a resources play here. Do you know much about it? A uh, little bit. You had me all fired up for ETFs. I was about to give you the whole pitch and you've just cut me off at the... Oh, middle. no, please go ahead. As long, you know, give, us, <laughs> give us the short version. Oh, no, just, just very briefly. Uh, 
it's core and satellite stuff. So, you know, why wouldn't you buy like, again, not turning this into the Vanguard show, but why wouldn't you buy VGAD, which has got 1,542 companies across the world? And then you yeah. don't have to worry about is yeah. Europe better than Japan versus the US? And they do it for 20 basis points. Why wouldn't you just do that? So that's your core piece. That but sense. then to Michael's piece around the, you know, if you think there's a value play or something, well, that's where your satellites come into play. And is it tech or is it robotics or is it Europe or, you know, whatever flights your boat? It's a combination of both. Anyway, yeah. that's the okay. five no, no, second no. version of ETS. Good, good, good points. Um, WSA, yeah, no, it reasonably well. Uh, and it actually sort of plays in very indirectly to one of the ETS we've been looking at, ACDC, which is sort of that battery technology, electric car space. And that's really why nickel's kicking along at the moment because uh, Elon Musk is getting everyone all fired up in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've got main assets of uh, Flying Fox and Spotted Quoll. Uh, Flying Fox, though, is sort of getting towards the end of its life. It's about 15 years old, producing about 4% grade nickel. But the issue with Flying Fox is because it's uh, getting a bit old is therefore the cost of production ever increasing. And as a consequence, that sort of led to a bit of an earnings downgrade back in October. Note the CEO and the chair have both been accumulating shares over the last 12 months. But again, coming back briefly to ETFs, it recently got removed from the ASX or is about to be removed from the ASX uh, S&P 200. So I'm sure there's been a bit of selling pressure uh, from passive funds that they've been selling it down. Look, I don't mind it, but, you know, certainly, you know, like an IGO or again, as I said, my preference is why wouldn't I just sort of buy like an ACDC and I'm getting exposure not only to sort of lithium miners but a little bit of nickel and cars and all that sort of stuff as well so it really comes down to you know how much of a pure play nickel do you want to be Mm. it definitely gets the award for the best ticker symbol ever particularly if you're a heavy metal fan (laughs) um michael what do you think about western areas these guys make money which is sort of stands them apart from a lot of their their peers but as we just saw on the chart there it's kind of it's gone nowhere over yeah. a long, long period of time. Another one of those ones that you could have ridden from two to three bucks, like four times over that time span. Um, does it does it float your boat? Not really. I mean, it's been very difficult with the nickel price for the last few years. Uh, nickel price has really taken off recently. Western areas, as far as mining grades go, they had some of the best grades in the world, really. Uh, they've had issues recently with some of their production figures, uh, which have really been hindered by seismic activity, which has made them go for some of the easier to access grades, but lower quality. And that has meant that the quality of the grades has come down and their costs have increased and all that sort of stuff. So that has affected them in the short term. Uh, But I think it just goes to the point that it is hard for these businesses to succeed consistently when you've only got a couple of mines, because even when the price is starting to do well, then you're facing mine specific issues. So it's hard to get these companies going, making money consistently, and the share price probably reflects that. So for mine, it's, it's a, a no-go. Um, nickel probably has a lot of good traits going forward. It's meant to be aligned to the electric vehicle boom that we're meant to see, uh, whether or not that plays out to anyone's guess, uh, and whether WSA can deliver and continue to develop their exploration resources to make sure they've got enough supply in the market at the right time, again, is anyone's guess. So for mine, it's a... And no. I think that that's where I kind of struggle with a lot of these ones. I, if you were to ask me, does the future look as though there's a lot more nickel being required yeah. and lithium? Well, 100%. There's, there's yeah. no question about it. But these elements are not rare. 
That's you know, and, and, and as long as there is a demand for it, there, there will ultimately be a supply side response. It is a story mm. as old as time, is it not? That's the thing. And I think even in Indonesia, they've banned nickel exports just to serve their market at the moment. But what if that changes down the track? Is there going to be a big flood of even more supply into the market? Another thing is across the industry in nickel over the last decade or so, the cost of production have been driven lower, which means that nickel prices can now stay lower for a lot longer, um, which means that if you're a functioning mine like Western areas, then you're not necessarily in the, in the competitive position that you once were because a lot of other people across that industry have also got their costs down. So for mine, uh, it's a no. Tough, a tough space. Yeah. AUB is the stock. Andrew, what do you think? Um, AUB, uh, it's an insurance broker, 550,000 clients, million policies in play, $3.2 billion worth of uh, gross written premiums, and there's 93 businesses in this sort of AUB model. So, you know, it's certainly a sizable insurance brokerage business. Probably one thing that I'm a little bit mindful of, and less so now that the economy seems to be going along okay again, but around 70% of the exposure is to small and medium businesses. So, you know, when the economy was under some pressure there with COVID as to how many of those were going to go bad and therefore not need premium. So that was certainly something that was on my radar. The margin's not too bad at 18%, about a 12% return on equity. I guess the, the, the clincher for me though, Andrew and Michael, is that it's a P of 22 relative to forecast earnings growth of 3%. You know, why am I paying six times over where the market's at? Well, maybe not six, what are we in there? 18 times. Why am I paying four or five times over for only 3% earnings growth? It's trading above, uh, sorry, it's trading sort of near consensus. So yeah, look, I, it's not a bad business, but it's certainly not a, a buy at these levels. Yeah, it's, it's so true of so many stocks out there. It's decent, decent enough businesses, but you, you have to pay for them. Um, Michael, this actually looking back at the right chart this time, and believe you me, heads will roll, got them. Um, uh, <laughs> we, we had a look at this longer one, and we have, we have a, a stock going from six bucks to $18 in uh, over the last 10 years or so. Pretty consistent performer. But as Andrew says, it just doesn't seem to have that, that forecast growth to be high enough. Do you share that view? Yeah, look, I mean, I don't like insurance companies, but I don't mind insurance brokers. Um, and Ausbrokers or AUB and Steadfast are the two major ones in this country, controlling about 40% of the market share. And it's quite a, a decent business model. You go around, you acquire smaller private insurance brokers, incorporate them into your model. You can attract people to your network through your scale and admin benefits. Yep. Um, and our preference is for Steadfast, and we own Steadfast, but only because it's growing more quickly. It trades on similar multiples and it hasn't had the big run up in share price that AUB has had. But we've seen across that whole industry over the last couple of years, insurance premiums have been growing. Um, and that's the first time really in a long time. Because what happened was in Australia, a lot of foreign entrants came into the insurance broking market, drove down premiums. They went back overseas with the towel between their legs and you're left with the incumbents there again. So you're starting to see insurance premiums going up, which should be supportive for the brokers in that industry because they get paid a flat fee, but they also get a, a percentage of premiums written. Um, so for these companies, they can grow organically, but they can also grow through bolt-on acquisitions. So I don't mm -hmm. mind them, but Oz Brokers or AUB um, is actually very expensive compared to its growth, whereas Steadfast, which has completed a few more acquisitions in recent times, has embedded those down. 
and they're now starting to see the growth benefits come through. So no for AUB for me. Okay, so, well, I'm gonna stay with you, Michael. Yep. Um, Sims is the next stock uh, on the list. Mm -hmm. I've got the right one this time. Uh, SGM is the code. Peter has asked about this one. What do you think about uh, a metal recycler, right? Yeah, so they go around and they recycle metal, uh, which is then used as an input for steel around the world. And they've got a, a fairly big presence in electronics. So if you think about your old discarded computers, uh, iPhones, whatever it may be, it goes into, not landfill, but it goes to a recycler such as Sims who then extract the important metal parts and often ends up in, in steel. And as we become more conscious about coal and the environment as a collective in globe, if you like, um, this is a company that could see some tailwinds from that. Um, but again, it, it's a business that can be quite lumpy, yeah. determines, determined by coal prices, determined by currency, all these different issues play into it. So it's a difficult business to predict with, with any certainty. And for that reason, it's a, a no-go from me. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, Andrew, just having a look at this longer term, I, 10 years the share price has really done nothing. You can say pretty much the same about earnings. Is the future different to the past? Oh, no, it's absolutely a trading stock without a shadow of a doubt. So, uh, and we've all got our favorite trading stocks. Qantas is mine. Mm -hmm. You know, you buy it at three and you sell it at five or six and you could nearly put uh, Sims into that sort of same basket as well. Uh, it also does a little bit of trading as well. So it gets a little bit of trading revenue there as well. Uh, I note the CEO and chair have both been increasing holdings over the last 12 months. Um, look, it's okay. I mean, if you believe the forecast EPS growth, forecast EPS is actually up 99% next year and it's trading on 22 times. So if you just use that as a, as a simple measure, you'd be all over this like a cheap suit. But uh, given its sort of cyclical nature, I tend to be wanting to buy it when everyone hates it. And it's sort of, you know, at the bottom of a downgrade cycle rather than sort of whilst it's sort of humming along and sort of near its highs. So I'm, uh, I'm a hold. Okay, hold is about the best we've, we've gotten from you, uh, Andrew. But I've got, I'm gonna give you one more chance. And of course, <laughs> the, the, your job here isn't, isn't to, to say yes, but just, just for fun, <laughs> audio pixels, Larry, Larry's wanting to know what you think of that. AKP is the code. Is this, is this a bike? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry about that. He's, he's gone for the moment. Uh, you're not going to get another buy. Sorry, mate. You're, uh, this is uh, yet another one. I can give you plenty of other buys, but uh, certainly out of the list that uh, Guatem gave us that we paid attention to. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Audio Pixels doesn't get a run either. Interesting business, I might add. Um, yeah. Being sort of the closet nerd, and looking at that MEMS digital speaker, it actually looks really interesting. Problem is they're burning through a heap of cash. Uh, they're burning through about 1.6 million a quarter. So they've only got enough cash now for about another 12 months. Uh, certainly have been impacted by COVID. You look at every um, announcement that they put out, they keep referencing that impact of COVID. Uh, I like the fact the CEO has 20% of the company and the shares price has actually done really well. You know, it's up 47%, 55% for the year and up 22% per annum for the last five years. So plenty to like about it. But the bottom line, they've got to get this digital speaker from demonstration to actually producing it and getting it out in volume and in a way in which they're not diluting shareholders by constantly raising cash. So it's an execution issue, interesting technology, but uh, sorry, Andrew, it's a hold. 
Yeah, no, all, all, all in good fun. I, I, should, I should stress here, and we mentioned this on the show yesterday, that our job as investors is to say no more yeah. often. We have to be fussy. Um, so, and, and you know what, Andrew's made some really good points. I'll add some numbers to what he said there. Shares outstanding in 2010, about 18 million. We've now got 28 million shares. Yeah. Uh, and as far as I can see, I don't think we've ever really made any sales either. Is that, just, is that a no for you on those? those? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been following this one for a long time because they've actually built a pretty good narrative around the technology. Um, the idea is that you can omit sound through a little tiny speaker without the need for the, the bass or the subwoofer effect. So the idea is you can then combine a number of these little speakers together and you can emit sound which you normally need a huge speaker for right. in the back of your phone for instance rather than having the speaker which is of a current size they can either get that down even smaller but the problem is it's meant to be military grade Israeli technology which hasn't yet delivered a prototype and they've been promising a prototype I think for a number of years now but it's yet to come to fruition so they've got no product per se, they've got no sales and certainly no profit mm. as we can see. They might actually get there eventually and it'll be this great new whiz-bang thing. But at this point in time, until I see it, uh, I think it makes it difficult in any way to justify the current price. Yeah, It does seem as though hope springs eternal as we just saw the share yeah. price has done really well, but there's just nothing at this stage, at this yeah. stage, uh, nothing to sort of back that up. Well, gents, that is the program for today, Wednesday the 16th. Let's have a quick review of those uh, final five stocks that we talked through. Uh, we started off the uh, second half with the Vanguard uh, European ETF there, VEQ. Uh, a note from both gentlemen here. Yeah, you know, you could do far worse if you wanted some exposure to that area of the world. But frankly, that area of the world hasn't been uh, doing that great. And uh, as Andrew was mentioning, there's there's easier ways to get uh, a global diversification. Uh, although Andrew is very big on ETFs, it wasn't a yes from him. Uh, Western Areas was the stock that we next had a chat about. Um, getting a little bit of a buzz due to all this battery talk, but this is an extremely tough business. There are better players out there or better ways to get exposure, according to both Michael and Andrew. So that was two thumbs down uh, as well. We then moved on to uh, uh, Ozbrokers. I'm going to get it right. Uh, and AUB was the code there. Listen, um, it's not a bad business. It's one that's actually done pretty well over the longer term. But for Michael's money, he prefers Steadfast. Uh, Andrew made comments that the PE was a little bit high there as well. So that was two no's. We then moved on to Sims. Now, Sims is in the call portfolio, or should I say it was at the close of trades today. We will be kicking that out. And this is a, a double thumbs down from both the gentlemen. Super tough. Um, they made comment that this is, is probably at best described as a trading stock because it does tend to sort of move within a range. Unfortunately, it doesn't tend to sort of sustainably go higher. And that's probably a concern from an investment stand standpoint. We ended with uh, Larry's uh, question on audio pixels. Fascinating technology. Let's hope that they get there. But at this stage, there's been no sales a bunch of share dilution and as far as we can see no uh, no tangible product uh, on the horizon so that is not good enough for our two gentlemen um, that's it for the show remember if you would like us to talk about any stocks that have piqued your interest just send us an email the call at ausbiz.com.au uh, you can of course tweet us if you prefer ausbiz to, oh, at Ozbiz TV. And if you want to check out all of those stocks that we're talking about in terms of this portfolio, which as you saw earlier has performed insanely well, just go to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. But until tomorrow, my name's Andrew Page and it's been a pleasure to have your company.